but they needed visibility. They needed them to be explicit. They needed to know that we're going to do these activities. Who's going to do them? What's the status? When does it need to be done by? Is it on track? Is it in trouble? Is it completed? And so in order to do a better management of the overall uh, process, the product process, having those explicitly defined was a necessary element. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. Hope everybody's doing well out there. A month or two ago, we did a podcast with the guest, Brian Safarth, and he was talking about the type of work we're doing with consumer product goods companies, CPG companies, and helping them be more efficient and effective in their stage gate process. And some of you listened to that episode. Some of you may have bookmarked that episode, planning to come back and listen to it and found out that it was gone. Well, we entitled that episode and we're using the term zero-based stage gate. And stage gate is a term that's registered trademarked and it's owned by Stagegate International. And by using the term zero-based stage gate, it comes across as if we're introducing a variation of the stage gate methodology where if, if something like that were to be created, it should be created by Stagegate International, not by us. So we were misusing their term, and uh, we apologize to those of you who found that the episode disappeared and were hoping to listen to it. But today we're going to talk about uh, a term we can use, which probably better describes it anyhow, and it's called a zero-based approach to Stagegate. So... If you think about StageGate, if you want to get a primer on it, a review on it, one of the early podcasts that we ever did was was discussing what StageGate is, and feel free to go back and reference that one, but it's basically a risk management methodology that allows you to bring winning products to market, have more success in the products that you bring to market. And there are a number of concepts, but I'm going to review just four of them for today. So stages, of course, is a concept, but I'm not going to talk much about that. But the gates, the gates are where decisions are made to continue the work, to continue uh, into the next stage. Basically, the gates will fund the development work or activity to be done in the next stage. And you have gatekeepers. Those are the people who are active in those gates, who are actually evaluating the product and deciding if the company should continue investing in it and making go-no-go decisions. And the gatekeepers are looking at things called deliverables. So that's my third concept, gates, gatekeepers, deliverables. And the deliverables are usually documents that the gatekeepers will review to better understand what this product is its likelihood of success, its probability of of technical success, whatever dimensions they need to review to be able to make a decision to continue the work and fund additional work in the product. And then finally, the fourth concept is the governance framework that sits on top of all that. The governance framework defines what the process is, what those gates are, why they exist, who the gatekeepers are, what the 
decisions are that they need to make and the consequences of those decisions, the implications of those decisions. The governance framework defines what deliverables exist uh, and that are available to those gatekeepers. And so those four concepts are some of the core concepts in the stage gate process. Well, if you go back in the beginning, Dr. Robert Cooper had a core set of deliverables, uh, things like technology risk assessments, market risk assessments. He called them scorecards. He had financial uh, assessments or financial uh, evaluations, product definition, but it wasn't many, maybe five to ten deliverables. It said, These are the core deliverables that the leaders, those who are consistently bringing good products to market, are evaluating and making decisions based upon. But what companies found was that wasn't always sufficient enough. Depending on the type of product, they may need to have more deliverables. If it's a regulated product, they may have to have some deliverables due to that are focused around regulatory aspects. If it was an extremely risky product, they may need to have more deliverables covering the risk assessments. And so the number of deliverables started to grow. Necessarily so, but it grew. And so now uh, there are more deliverables in each stage. And then companies decided they needed more than just deliverables. They really needed to track key activities that the product teams were going to undertake. An example might be a filing with the Food and Drug Administration for a new product that needs to be done at a certain point in time. And you could have thrown all those activities in one document one deliverable and say, there they are, but they needed visibility. They needed them to be explicit. They needed to know that we're going to do these activities. Who's going to do them? What's the status? When does it need to be done by? Is it on track? Is it in trouble? Is it completed? And so in order to do a better management of the overall uh, process, the product process, having those explicitly defined was a necessary element. So now companies added in more and more activities inside those stages. And then you had additional deliverables to help you prepare the final gate deliverables, some additional background materials, things to help you better structure your thought process or your evaluation process. So what might be presented to the gatekeepers as a, a technology risk assessment may actually have come as a result of three or four deliverables and activities which were performed and completed as part of evaluating technology, likelihood of success or risk, etc. So we started out with, you know, let's say 10 deliverables in a stage, and then it went to 20, and then 50, and 100, and we've had customers that have well over 100 deliverables and activities in a given stage. And that's just brought the process, in some cases, uh, really slowed it down. And especially in consumer packaged goods, and the companies we're working with in consumer packaged goods have identified this problem, been talking to us about this problem uh, for a while now. And they've wanted to shift to be, uh, have more agility in their product process. And they wanted to start to empower their product teams more so. So rather than have a predefined process, uh, they needed to be more nimble, faster, the world of empowering teams. These are all concepts that they wanted to start to utilize in their stage gate process. 
So in working with them, we identified this uh, concept we're calling the zero-based approach to StageGate. And what it is, is you start from a core minimal set of deliverables. And the software brings in, our software for these teams brings in that core set. And then the product teams will add or select additional deliverables as they go along. Or, or perhaps the gatekeepers will look at the next stage and request that some of those additional deliverables be brought in. But rather than starting with a big process, a whole set of deliverables and opting out, it's more of an opt-in strategy. And that subtle change makes a big difference in the ability for teams to feel empowered, to execute faster, to move through the process in a better way. And it really shifts what the governance framework does. The governance framework, instead of controlling what product teams do, the governance framework is advising what product teams do. And so that's a big difference as well. So to give you an example, a product team might start with a core set of deliverables. It's probably something like the product definition, the risk assessment, and the value statements. And then as they go along, maybe even at the very beginning of their work, the product team will add in additional deliverables. But as they go, they will learn things. And in rapid learning, they will discover that there are some additional things that they need to do that maybe they didn't realize when they started work down a given stage, and they would bring in more deliverables. So that's really it in a nutshell. It's about bringing speed and agility to the product teams who are trying to work through the process. There are four key tenets that I'd like to just cover here and be clear upon. The first one is the concept of the minimal viable process framework versus a mandated list of deliverables. So that minimal viable process framework, I know minimal viable is a, is a term that's maybe being overused these days, but it fits very well in this example. That minimal viable process framework includes things like the product definition, risk assessment, value statements that I already talked about, and starts from there versus this, this, this big long list of, of deliverables. The second tenet is to put the power and control in the hands of the innovation teams and leaders. These people know what they need to be doing. They're learning as they go. They're adapting to what they're learning. And so by having a, a framework that's zero-based approach gives them that power and control. It doesn't diminish what the gatekeepers do. The gatekeepers also have a stake in this, right? They may decide as well that additional work needs to be done. So it gives them some ability as well. And when the these product teams are bringing their uh, status to the gatekeepers and having these gate discussions with the gatekeepers, it becomes obvious uh, what they're doing. As the gatekeepers ask their questions or look at what's been done, they'll see that the product teams have decided to do additional work to gain more confidence in what they're doing or more accuracy in some of the things that they've been learning and finding. The third tenant is it ensures best practice standards. Those are still there. The, the fact that a deliverable may not be being used doesn't mean that it doesn't have best practice behind it. And when a product team brings those in, brings those additional deliverables or activities in, it's coming with the best practices as well on how to do those things. And the fourth tenant is it focuses on relevant work 
without overcomplicating the process. And I think a lot of us have realized that our stage gate processes have become a bit complicated, and it's hard to find the relevant work that needs to be done. So those are some of the, 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 the ways that it works. Those are the key tenets. To give you an example of those as-needed deliverables uh, that teams may elect to include on top of the core set, uh, concept testing, consumer insights and market studies, market assessments. You know, if the team realizes its confidence or its understanding of a given market and the fit of the product in the market isn't as high as they thought, they would want to do these market studies and conduct these consumer insights. And so by bringing them into their particular process for their particular product, uh, those best practices come along as well, and they do those things. Detailed financial assessments, technology assessments, intellectual property assessments, supply chain or operational assessments. These are all things that may be brought in by the product teams to help them do a better job at defining or bringing their product to market. There's also uh, some, some operational related things. For example, a product team might decide that for its product, it can really operate in a very much a, a, like a Kanban-driven uh, type of approach with test and learn iterations. And so it might bring those in. It might bring those capabilities in and all the deliverables around those to be part of their, their product process. Or it might decide for a given product, no, uh, we need Gantt charts and timelines for this product. So you bring those in. Again, it could be the gatekeepers that decide this is the best way to move forward. But the fact is that you don't have a process that's full of Kanban boards and Gantt charts and timelines. It's all brought together this way by the teams when they need it. Uh, risk and issue matrices would be another one. So there's some of the, the examples of, of, of what this zero-based approach to stage gate is. Providing that simplified, smart process structure, consistent use of best practices, but only when required, and eliminating an administrative burden, let, let the software do the heavy lifting is a key part of it. And if you want to find out more, uh, we have a, a very good ebook on our website, so feel free to go out and, and look at that and download that and take a look and read what, more about what this is, why people are using it, the value that they're getting from it, uh, and how you could get started with it. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So that's today's topic. Thank you very much for joining. I hope you have a great week ahead of you and um, appreciate you listening in, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>